Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that pretends to rent these movies and then we break down the box art trailers and behind the scenes. This week, I was in charge of renting and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize, Matt. I chose Blind Date, starring Bruce Willis. <laughs> Less than 12 hours ago, this man had a good job and a promising future. Last night, he went on a blind date. Today, he's paying the price. You're allowed two phone calls. It says it's me, Walter. Your brother, Walter. I'm just calling to thank you for fixing me up with Nadia last night. And she's gorgeous. Oh, you were right about not letting her drink. It was really cute how a little champagne brought out those charming quirks in her personality. She made quite an impression on my boss, too. I'm fired. Fired? But you know what really elevated the evening out of the realm of the ordinary? Having Nadia's psychotic ex-boyfriend as a chaperone. You And you know those dancing lessons we had to take in junior high, Teddy? Finally came in handy. My evening was so entertaining, so exhilarating, so stimulating, such an utterly unforgettable experience that if I weren't already behind bars, I'd be committing a murder right now! Yours! Kim Basinger, Bruce Willis, Blind Date. Anybody out there got 10 grand for bail? Blind date. Yes, this is this is uh, week two, right? In our stars before they were stars uh, marathon we're doing here. Yeah, so I picked this out, and it's clearly based off the box art here. This is one of the most interesting VHS boxes I've ever seen. I've never actually seen this. Don't lie to the listeners here. The reason you picked this is because you love Bruce Willis rom coms. <laughs> it's it's not true at all. <laughs> This might be the first Bruce Willis rom-com I've seen. Yeah, I've never seen... You've never seen Moonlighting, right, his show? No, no. I've never seen that either. So, I'm aware of its existence, but yeah, never seen it. I guess I should bring up that this is a gift from Scott Roger of Horror Movie Night, also in the Geekscape universe, and he got this for me, mostly because he probably saw this at an estate sale and said, hey, Steve's a dork, he'll love this. <laughs> the reason we're doing this is this very strange box that this one has come in. Yeah, and we're not going to go into a history of this film because, well, I mean, the director is sort of famous. I mean, Pink Panther and all that. We've got Blake Edwards. Yes. But, um, and I had I had seen all the Pink Panther movies, Shot in the Dark, you know, all those Peter Sellers movies that he directed in the 60s and 70s, but I had never seen this before. No. I actually looked at his entire filmography, and I think I've only seen about five. And those are all the famous ones. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this movie aside, he's a fantastic comedic filmmaker. Yes, in his heyday. Yes, but those days have... Long gone past. You know, long since past, uh, by the time we get to Blind Day. Yeah, it's sad, but it happens. Everyone gets over the hill. And this kind of just seems like he was trying to figure out what people wanted to see. yeah. This is like a cartoon sort of caricature of the 80s by, like, somebody who doesn't really, who's like an outsider looking in on the 80s. Yeah, like how he has female empowerment in this, but then at the same time he makes the female, like, the complete idiot. Yeah, we'll get into it when we get into the movie, but I don't really know what this movie's, like, trying to say, and I know it's not trying to say much because it's a rom-com, but, like, what side it falls on with any issue that it sort of talks about because there's female empowerment there's sort of like the 80s like yuppie movement and it seems to have these comments on these things but like very just like non-specific and not like really choosing any kind of a side just like this is what this is and it's yeah it's very flat 
Well, this just seems like a movie with a bunch of events that ties together, that forcefully ties together at the end, and you're like, okay, well, <laughs> that was technically a movie. It's okay. just one that I don't care about. Yeah. And I watched this last week. You watched this a couple, I don't know, hours ago? Yes. And we both, when we first got together, right before we pressed record on this, we said, I don't remember much in this. I don't, I don't remember much about this movie. Should we, let's break down the yeah. box, because this is sort of the most interesting part of this. So. This is the highlight of this podcast. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep this entertaining for the listeners. We're going to keep it more entertaining than this film. There isn't much movie-wise here. So the box itself is definitely the strangest box I've ever seen a movie in before. Well, one, if you take a regular VHS, it's taller and wider. It's wider by almost like a whole nother half. Yes. At least a third. Yes. It is, and it's not, we're not looking at like a clamshell here either. We're looking at like, it's flat, it's not puffy like the clamshells, it's flat, it's just big enough to fit the VHS, so it's not like the full clam. It's almost taller than a clam, and the tape comes out from the top. And there's this. nothing at the top to stop it from coming out. Right. So, well, they put styrofoam in there so it doesn't yeah. just fly out. Right. There's foam on the sides of the tape because the, t- the box itself has has like a good inch, inch and a half around it on both sides that they've filled with styrofoam. And then the tape comes out the top. So I guess read off what this is a this is a video club. Yes, this is Errol's Video Club, a video club that has apparently existed since 1963. For 6.95, you can get this movie and includes club member 10% off discount. And I don't know if just this. I'm assuming just this club is the reason why this box is like this. I don't think the studio put this out looking like this at any point. Well, we looked up Errol's, and it apparently was the third biggest video rental store of the 80s. It eventually sold to Blockbuster for $40 million, according to Wikipedia. But before that, it was this rental chain, rental club company. Yeah, so this looks like one that they just put out afterwards that you could just buy for six ninety nine instead of renting? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking it is. So this is probably like, you know how uh, the previously viewed movies at Blockbuster sometimes came in their case? This is yeah. probably the Errol's equivalent of that. But I've never seen these before. I, yeah. Uh, we didn't have an Errol's here in Chicago. Oh, I see. I'm Okay, so there's like plastic that covers this, and I feel it right here. The movie VHS cover is a sticker. Oh, wow. So, yeah, this must have been what they had in their stores. This must Ah. have been what you picked up on the shelf here. This is really cool. Now, I I had no idea that you... I'm going to call it E-Rose. I didn't know that they had over 200 stores. I'd never heard of this place. Yeah, maybe they're not Midwest. Maybe that's why we didn't know about them. Well, it said only five states, so 200 stores in five states. Oh, wow. Holy shit. They dominated one area. Yeah. We could look it up, but no. No, we looked up enough. We did enough of that. <laughs> yeah, but that. so this is in a massive box with the styrofoam in it and the tape and then the sticker of the cover. Uh, let's, let's talk about the cover in the back here. So the cover is Bruce Willis, disheveled, no shoes, dirt and blood all over his shirt, looking crazy with like an angelic Kim Basinger hanging over his shoulder, and like that, like, 80s uh, school portrait-type background, uh, soft lighting head. Yeah, she's going to get you, Bruce. Yeah. Uh, And it says a Blake Edwards film. Kim Basinger is top billing over Bruce, but Bruce's name is slightly higher, which is just like, he's like, all right, I'll take second billing, but you got to put my name higher above the title. Yeah, and they try to pull it off because Bruce's hand is in the way, so it pushes Kim Basinger's name down. But it doesn't do that here in this credit block, which is Oh, that is so weird. So they have it twice. Right. Both times, both Kim Basinger and Bruce Willis' name are above the title. She's first, he's second, but his is, like, pushed up slightly. Oh, man, if anyone's listening, I'll, I'll put the actual VHS cover on the Facebook page, but... Wow, that's so weird and awkward. <laughs> like, do you really get that scared about it? Like, That sounds like a very Bruce Willis thing to do. 
yeah, like, oh man. I'll take second billing, but my name has to be higher. <laughs> my, my masculinity can't take it. Yeah, sounds like a very Bruce Willis thing. Uh, the back and, or I mean the side and the bottom, which I guess is probably cut off from the typical top part for this, the sake of this box. You're, you're going to have to put a picture of this whole thing on the yeah, thing because it's crazy. so hard to describe. <laughs> um, but it is the uh, RCA, Columbia Pictures, uh, releases, so they all have the black spines. That was just a thing they did, the black spines with the red square around them. You guys might remember if you had the Ghostbusters VHS when you were a kid, they all had this same black and red yeah, so this white is letters a aesthetic. Lot, this is a lot of work taken one of their giant video things that they've got video cassette holders and then taken each part of the vhs cover turning it into a sticker and then putting it over it yeah or at least cutting it off and then gluing it that's a shit ton of work yeah and then and then just a shit ton of plastic too because if all of these are wrapped in this same plastic covering too like damn man they just didn't give a shit about cost savings in the 80s they were just printing money for these vhs's I mean, it was the wild west for tapes in the 80s so this was just non-stop money printing machines so i, I get it i get it so if a tape was seven dollars to buy what was it to rent you think a dollar you think man yeah no wonder they must have been making bank because if it's like twenty dollars to buy a movie now compare that to the dollar you know I'm not going to sit here and do math, but I'm pretty sure that would mean rentals would... Uh, maybe that equals out. Rentals are probably like, what, three, four dollars before Blockbusters died? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're getting up to like five or six, and that's why they died, but... <laughs> oh, were they? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as Redbox hit, I just didn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. No, Blockbusters did it to themselves. Like, it's sad they're gone. Yeah. I missed the video rental store, but Blockbuster did it to themselves. Should've they jacked got- up prices. You should have gotten the streaming better. Or the mail service, because the mail service is actually what killed them. Oh, yeah, you're right. Netflix's mail service. They did that mail service, and it sucked, so they should have just spent the time on the the future, man, and gotten gotten into streaming, but they did it to themselves. Uh, Nevertheless, let's flip this bad boy over and take a look at the back here. So for those of you who don't know what Blind Date is, here is the description. When Bruce Willis is set up with gorgeous Kim Basinger, the perfect blind date, all capitals of course, dissolves into disaster in the sexy comedy caper. Workaholic Walter Davis, Willis, Moonlighting, invites beautiful Southern Belle Nadia Gates, Basinger, no mercy, to a button-down corporate dinner, expecting to impress his associates with this dazzling beauty. But all hell breaks loose when Nadia has one too many and reduces the evening and Walter's career to a shambles. Bad turns to worse when Nadia's insanely jealous expo, David, John Larroquette, Night Court, discovers them together and decides to annihilate the unsuspecting Walter. Can true love blossom amidst this hilarious havoc? Will Nadia and Walter ever get down to courting each other instead of courting disaster? Find out in the zany blind date where first encounters can lead to close encounters of the worst kind. PG-13. There you go. There's the entire movie. (laughs) Yeah, a couple of super boring stills on the back. There's one of the scene where Bruce Willis gets drunk and acts like a fool in front of Nadia's colleagues. There's like a flirty one between Basinger and Willis, and then there's a fight between Larroquette and Willis. Those are the three stills they give us, and I just feel like I would... I don't know. I feel like if I picked this up in the video store, I absolutely would have passed on this one. Definitely. Definitely. So, but we're renting it now. <laughs> but we didn't pass on it, so let's put it in and talk about it. <laughs> and before we put in this tape, let's listen to a commercial here for Geekscape's new film. Hey, Geekscapists, Jonathan the Podfather here. And when I first started Geekscape back in 2006, it was just a podcast, but then it grew into a podcast network and a community. And the whole plan was to turn it into a production company so we could make cool films and TV ideas and all sorts of stuff for you guys. We'll always be doing the podcast, but right now I want to let you guys know that we're running a Seed and Spark campaign for one of our first original productions. And this is a co-production with Dweeb Darlings and Fonco Studios called Stocking LeVar. It's a continuation of the web series Stocking LeVar. If you go online, go to YouTube or dweebdarlings.com and look for Stocking LeVar, and you guys will find a pretty fun two seasons of this show 
We're going to make a short film out of it, but we're going to need your help. So go to seedandspark.com, search Stalking LeVar, as in LeVar Burton, and you'll find our project. Listen, if you can't donate, it's okay. Just follow and share. That'll help us out a whole lot. And then if you can donate, as some of your fellow Geekscapers have, we'd appreciate that too. The campaign's going to be running for a while, so I really, really appreciate you guys checking it out, and enjoy the rest of this show. All right, the tape was in, and depressing, depressing time. No trailers. No trailers. Just right into this fucking movie. <laughs> I know, it's, it's very... Well, I've described what it's like to not see trailers, and no one agreed with me, so I will not use that analogy or whatever simile where it's your mom walking in on you having yes, sex. Yes, yes, yes. No we one talked about that. We talked about that one. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> I don't see the comparison. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, no trailers, major bummer. And we just get started. This is a TriStar release, so we get the TriStar logo, the 80s one, that I remember seeing a thousand times because I watched Hook so many times as a kid. And it brought back some memories seeing the old TriStar logo. And then the movie starts. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was... I mean... I didn't know what to expect in this film. So we already can explain this to you. It's a blind date. She gets really drunk, makes a fool, gets him fired. Then he starts to be foolish getting drunk and stuff because he's just kind of reacting to her getting super drunk. Phil Hartman set them up. At the end, blah, 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 they get married. Yeah, uh, this is kind of a strange setup for a movie because the movie spends so much time on their blind date that it would have made way more sense to have the whole movie just be the blind date. But you get about 75 to 85% of the movie is the blind date. And then you get the rest, 25% to 15%, is like after. And it's so weird. It does, like the, the pacing and the way yeah. it's set up is so weird because you have most of this movie take place on one night. And then we just go, then we just kind of go down the line of like a couple of random days then. Well, I thought it was going to be a one-night movie because it was Blind Date. And I'm like, oh, they're going to... Like, these two are going to get together and have a terrible Blind Date. No. I think it would have been a lot more interesting instead of making Kim Basinger's character the bad guy because she can't handle her alcohol. How about you just put them into a scenario that's shitty and they fall in love getting through the shitty scenario? Yeah, there was a way probably easier way like a less convoluted way to make this movie happen but they just didn't figure it out and they got so yeah caught up on like she's she gets wild when she gets drunk bruce maybe you should get her drunk and then she gets drunk and it's like oh wild means he's that she's gonna be like acting like an idiot and ruin his career blah 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 and it's like there was a better way to do that you know like it and not like in like a like better for you know female representation way i just mean story-wise there's a better way to do this it yeah. just seems so lazy and well, so boring to have it be this way well at the same time so they set up bruce willis as this very boring character of he's like an accountant for something i, I don't know what it was but he had to do with financing right and a big japanese businessman is coming to, I don't know, do some kind of deal with their their business. So, you know, he's boring, but he's dedicated to his job, and he wants to go somewhere. So I looked at it, and I go, okay, so this is a character where, like, we get his motivation. He's all about his career. He's on set up on this blind date by Phil Hartman because he just he doesn't have time to find someone or whatever. He's, he's you know, he needs a date for this big dinner. Yeah, the boss wants him to bring a date, and he is just unlucky in love. And yeah, every time his bro, his brother-in-law, no, his brother, his actual brother, not his brother-in-law, his brother, which is Phil Hartman, sets him up on d- blind dates or dates. They're all weird, and you know, one one's mm-hmm. got a cat in the freezer, one's an embalmer, one's you know, blah blah blah. So he always gets stuck on weird dates, and he strikes out. Finally, he meets yeah Kim Basinger, who he set up with through Phil Hartman, who then at that point is like dropped from the movie until like the last 15 minutes again 
And he's one of the bright spots of the movie. Yeah, to have such a charismatic actor and just remove him for a good 40 minutes was disappointing, especially nowadays after Phil Hartman's passing. As soon as you see him, you kind of light. I lit up. I was like, oh, it's Phil Hartman. Yeah, no, it's exciting when Phil Hartman shows up and stuff because he's brilliant and he's so funny. And he's really good as a shady used car salesman who would even rip off his brother. Right, right, which we learned very early on in the movie when this blind date gets set up. Yeah. Of course, we learn too, Bruce Willis actually has more of a passion for music and that this accounting thing isn't really a passion. It's just something he's trying to do to climb the corporate ladder. Blah, blah, blah. You know how that goes in all these movies. He gets fired, finds yeah, his passion. but does that ever come back? Yeah, does at the he end, find... he's playing a guitar. Oh, yeah, when they're, like, on their honeymoon? Yeah. And they have a Coke instead of champagne? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, well. Yeah. Yeah, that was really forced, like, look, she's no longer an alcoholic. Or... Yeah. I don't know, whatever. Keeping the drinks away, yeah, whatever, yeah, blah, blah, but, blah. Uh, so, <laughs> so it comes in, like, he asks his brother, what do you mean she gets wild when she's drunk? And he's like, oh, she gets wild. And then he immediately takes her to a recording studio and shoves champagne down her throat. Now, she accepted it. It's own, her own fault, too. But I was like, is this how we're going to set up this character that we want to like? Like, he sees that she's beautiful, which, by the way, she has brunette hair in this. I thought that was very odd. I, this is the only film I've ever seen where she's a brunette. Yeah. It's still kind of... It's like a more of like a, the uh, sandy blonde, though. There's still some blonde peeking through, but yeah, she's... No, it's she's, pretty It's pretty dark, though. I mean, compared to what she typically is. Yeah, to be like the blonde bombshell that she, you know, made a career off of, but... Yeah, I don't very strange. really understand, because I looked at the films before she was in this. She's a blonde, so I was like, they specifically wanted her to be brunette and I don't know why or you know like dirty blonde or whatever yeah, yeah I don't know I don't but, know that choice yeah. whatever uh, so she's really pretty so he immediately you know puts alcohol in her because she gets wild and I was like well you know it's also your fault she shouldn't drink because she knows how she gets and then you shouldn't immediately break the rule <laughs> right right yeah kind of makes him unlikable at yeah. that point like and not and not he's not trying to like you know, he's not going to rape her, you know. He's no, like, no. He's just, he's not being a Harvey Weinstein. He, he's he just, was... he's just being like a dude. And it's just disappointing. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't want to see this. <laughs> well, the thing, yeah, you're right. It's not like he's going to rape him. And he was actually being very polite, very smooth, and uh, like a, a dash of, you know, like charisma going on there. And I was like, okay, I get what you're doing, but... Why set it up that she gets wild when she's drunk? How about Phil Hartman not tell him anything so he wouldn't know if you're going to do that? Like, there's just so many hiccups in this movie where you're like, yeah. don't, why are you doing this? Yeah, convoluted. Like I said, the yeah. story is unnecessarily convoluted. You could have had uh, another, like, after hours type movie where it's just this one night, everything goes crazy, and they fall in love. That's it. That's yeah. all you needed to do, and it would have worked out. Bruce is charming at this time. He still gave a shit when he was acting at this time. Mm-hmm. Kim Basinger is on top of her career, just superstar at this point. That's all you needed. It drives itself. I don't know why they overcomplicated it and overconvoluted this story. <laughs> well, then they introduce John Larroquette, which plays the crazy, jealous ex-boyfriend who is also a lawyer. And he just, man, he just fucks shit up. Yeah, another bright spot in the movie. We talked about it before we started recording. Uh, He's fun to watch here. Yeah, but his character is so overdone. We've seen so many of, like, the Jell Sucks boyfriends. Now, this one definitely goes, like, three stooges with him. Yeah. Which was odd. But, I, you know, he's just very watchable. That's that's what it is. I mean, there's... There's no moment in this movie where I was laughing, because it's just not a funny comedy. It's just, like, flat. Uh, I, I didn't hate it. I wasn't, like, hate-watching this movie. I just was, like... Oh. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> I just was, like, completely unaffected. But, like, every time Larry Cat showed up, I was like, okay, like, I've got something to watch here. You know, I wasn't laughing. And yeah. his whole shtick is he keeps crashing into things in his car, and that's, like, the recurring joke with him. And it's yeah. not funny, but, like... When he's on screen, I'm like, oh, 
something. Well, <laughs> it was kind of funny as in like a earnest movie where like, are you selling this to eight-year-olds? Because they'll laugh at that. Yeah, there's, there's a few jokes in here like when he continuously crashes into things or like there's a scene with the judge later on where he's representing him and the gavel comes flying off and hits the typist in the head and it's like slapsticky humor or whatever. But I'm like, who is this movie for? <laughs> yes, because at the end, uh, what happens is is Bruce Willis pulls a gun on cops, doesn't get shot and killed. Because he's I, white. Because he's white, yeah. <laughs> white male. Yes. Uh, I should even... So I, I laughed at that. Oh, I didn't laugh at it out loud. I, I go, hmm, yeah, of course yes, he didn't get yeah. shot. Yeah. So he ends up going to court and Larroquette defends him. So he can marry Kim Basinger because she makes a deal. Like, hey, get him off and I'll marry you. So she does. And then we get them going to Larroquette's father's house, which is the judge. And did you catch who the judge was? I recognized him, but I don't know the actor's name. That's William Daniels. That's George Feeney, my friend. George Feeney. Boy Meets World? Oh, boy. I saw it before, but I didn't. I wasn't a regular... Oh. I wasn't a regular watcher of Boy Meets World. Oh, no. This is probably another age difference thing between you and I. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I didn't watch this. I was aware of its existence. I had seen some episodes, but this was not one I regularly. Oh, man. Our friend uh, Matt on Geekscape, he does a uh, Boy Meets World podcast. And oh, nice. he just finished season one not too long ago. They're going to do season two. So, anyway, right when I saw him, I go, oh, it's George Feeney. Nice. It's Mr. Feeney. Nice. Uh, so is their teacher. Anyway, check out his podcast on that. It's kind of interesting. I like it. And I thought it was clever how they made him, John Larroquette, and um, Feeney. I'm just going to call him Feeney. They're, they happen to be father-son. But, man, Mr. Feeney is really nasty to his son. Now, in a way, I get it because his son's a dipshit. Yeah, like it's like the the um, super successful and like they've got this sprawling mansion and every super successful judge father and then like the idiot son who's like he's in law but he's the bumbling idiot yeah and I assume he's good because he was in a huge building when Kim Basinger you know visited him but I mean he also could have had the right connections you know it's part of the times I guess whatever it's not what you know it's who you know yeah so, but anyway, Bruce Willis breaks, breaks up the wedding, and then he falls in love with her because she's pretty. I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I never caught why, but she ends up getting drunk at the wedding from like liquor-filled chocolates. Yeah, that he like he gives her chocolates. Bruce Willis does that. He like is syringe injecting brandy into. Yeah. To get her drunk at the wedding, so she. You know, destroys the wedding like she, like she destroyed his career when she got drunk that night when they were supposed to go on this date with his boss or whatever. Yeah, uh, and she she really doesn't wreak much havoc. He just kind of they're like, does anybody see that this? I mean, she says she doesn't want to do it, and then the and just like the creepiest thing, like we'll take it to a vote. We'll pay, we'll let we'll decide if she's gonna marry him or not based on what you guys all think as a vote, which is just disgusting and creepy. And then Bruce Willis is like, "No, I love her." And that was it, and that's sort of it. Well, yeah, and when they kiss in the pool at the end, I was just like, "Oh, so they're in love now?" I, when did that happen? Yeah, it's like she bails him out of jail. She's the one that actually bails him out, and then yeah. Larroquette's got to represent him when he goes to court or whatever, but, like, he gets bailed out by her, and then they have this really strange interaction in her room while they're both hungover. Oh, in the bed. That is so bizarre. And I was like, are they falling in love, or do they still hate each other? I don't know what the scene is. I was so lost during that part. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I, I do kind of understand why the writer has really written himself off of this, uh, or well, maybe I should put that a different way. He has distanced himself from this film, apparently, where the screen the, the screenplay was so much different than what he wrote that he just does he hates the movie. I yeah, and I wonder what the screenplay would be because still this know. movie's overly convoluted and complicated. Well, it seems like they wanted something that 12-year-olds could watch, but also dark humor that adults could laugh at. And then I don't know what the rest was. Yeah, I it's, it's just a classic case of, I guess, not picking 
not leaning too much towards one thing or another so that it just falls completely flat. Like it's not, it's not a dark comedy. It's not a slapstick comedy. So it's just nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's a nothing movie with little tidbits of elements from other types of movies. Right. It's like, yeah, Blake Edwards was just pulling from his tool bag of, you know, the movies he was making 20 years ago and just hoping it would work for this script. And it just nothing works. Yeah. Nothing works here. It's, it's the pure definition of a muddy film. Yeah. And it, it's, not the, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's just so instantly forgettable. Is yeah. the problem. Well, I guess we should move on. I, I will. <laughs> there is one thing I laughed at this, but I wasn't laughing with the movie. When he runs into the Japanese businessman in the tall tower building, I was like, oh, yeah. uh, we're yeah. getting some, uh, getting some diehard here. Then this blew my mind. I think when he was talking to John Lyric, or when Kim Basinger was talking to John Larroquette. The building in the background is unfinished. I don't know if this is true, but I saw that that is actually the Nakatomi Plaza that they use. That's funny. That's the building, um, which I don't know what the building is actually called. Uh, Probably should have wrote that down. But if that's true, that's amazing. Yeah, this movie foreshadowed Die Hard. At least there's that. At least there's that. Yeah, I, my, my only other comment, I guess, on the movie um, is just that, like, this is a pure definition of, like, the 80, late 80s yuppie culture, you know, up, you know, got to work my way up the corporate ladder, I got to make money, everybody's got mansions, you know, your only worth is how much money you make, that sort of 80s, late 80s, like, I got to be rich dream thing, and, like, it's so weird in this movie. Like, it's so there, but it's so weird because there's no there's no comment on it. There's no... But it's so extreme that it's like... It's like they're satirizing it, but they don't go full on or something. I don't know, but it's so there. It's this... It's, it's acting as sort of a comment on 80s yuppie culture, but without saying anything. I don't know. It was so strange, but it's so in the movie, and I don't understand it. Yeah, there's, I mean, we pretty much can end with that. I don't understand a lot of this shit either. <laughs> so let's move on to what's going in our museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. All right, we're going to move on to the segment we call The Museum. It is where we take something from the movie that we either put in our museum because it's gold and we want to take a look at it and admire it and remember it forever, or we take a lump of coal to learn from because it's bad. And I think we're both putting in lumps of coal this week. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Should I go first since yeah, I picked the go, movie? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, all right, my lump of coal is you got to make likable characters. It, the two leads, not both of them have to be likable, but at least one mm-hmm. has to be likable to carry you through the film, and both of these strike out. I just don't like either of them. I don't hate either of them either. Right, like, i got to hate them then if you're not going to make me like them. Yeah. Like, make them hateable, watchable characters, but they're just so flat. He's got nothing going on. She she destroys his life, but she gets drunk and doesn't mean it. You know, she doesn't mean to destroy his life, so she's not, like, an asshole. But and then, like, he's not an asshole either because he's not like, you destroyed my life, I've got to ruin yours. He's just like, ah, this is terrible. And then that, then they fall in love. And it's just like, what? <laughs> yeah, yuck. All right. Yeah, in my museum, I'll just put in the script. And like you were saying, the, the writer may have disowned it because it's not what he wrote here, but something had to be on page that turned into this. And it is just, yeah, the characters aren't likable. The tone is just not, there's no, there's no tone. There's, they didn't pick a tone at all to go with here. It's so flat. Well, the tone um, is everywhere too, which makes it flat. Yeah. It's just so, there's no like tone they've picked. There's no pacing here because, you know, like I said, the blind date scene goes on for three fourths of the movie. And then we get like the rest of it sort of shoehorned at the end. Just the over convoluted, like, well, she gets drunk and she acts wild. Like, if you're going to make a movie about somebody who gets drunk and gets wild, have the whole movie be about that and not, again, three quarters of it and then abandon it. You know, Mm -hmm. something like that. And, yeah, like, Phil Hartman is probably one of the better characters in this, and he's dumped off just 
again throughout most of the chunk of the movie. Larroquette's fun to watch, but he's got nothing to do because he's just the obsessed boyfriend. There's no other layer to it there. The script is just too too bad. Yeah, and I don't even remember picking up on why or how he initially met her, why he fell in love with her, if she was ever in love with him. There's none of that none that of I not, that I can remember. No, none of that's there. Not, and like what I don't know. And I can't fault Blake Edwards here. Uh, we were talking about it, and it seems like the end of his career. Most of the movies are kind of like this, but this is still. It's a good-looking movie. This is still a Blake Edwards movie. He, you know, is still shooting in scope widescreen, so the movie looks massive. The movie looks huge. Um, He does his kind of thing where he doesn't use a lot of score, especially during the comedic moments or whatever. It it feels very much like one of his movies. The script is just not there, so I'm not going to fault Edwards on this one, even though his career kind of went this way. It looks like he purposely picked this script uh, from what I read. Which I, I kind of was going down the same road you were, but it appears at the end of his end of his career here in the late '80s, early '90s, he was picking some bad stuff. So I think not only was he trying to figure out what people wanted to watch, but he was also trying to figure out which direction to take his the end of his career, the Twilight, because you know the stuff he did in the '70s, '60s and '70s, it would not work in the '80s. Right, yeah, you can make a Pink Panther. So thing. I I can see why older directors get into this route. They're like, okay, you know, like if you made 20-year-old stoner comedies like um Kevin Smith did forever. And then once you're out of that, you know, and then you get in your 40s, you can't do 20-something-year-old stoner movies cuz you don't know them anymore. Right, right, and Kevin Smith grew with his yeah. career, you know, he did movies well, about fatherhood and adulthood and things like that like and then people complained so then he kind of went well let's go back to wacky which he did after red state he did um well he did tusk but he put wackiness in that and like i like tusk for the bizarreness but i like bizarre shit and then he did yoga hosers but the whole point of this is sometimes you just lose your way in your career like what type of movies should i be doing and now he's doing uh like let's do movies for my kids which right. literally he put his daughter right. in two of them so it gets rough because you got to figure out you got to do something you know yeah and blake edwards i just feel like didn't didn't grow he like tried to figure out and maybe that's why there's this rampant yuppie thing happening in this he's trying to figure out what people like in the 80s but he's just out of touch and doesn't know yeah out of touch i think he is i mean he's trying to do like 30 something year old yuppies in this and he was probably in his 60s he didn't know what that was like yeah so i mean if he was making movies for the 60 year old demographic and they were comedies he probably would have had a nice second career you know second wind of the career but instead he just kind of fell off doing these comedies when he kind of lost touch of what people wanted to see in comedies yeah kevin smith do a comedy about a guy who got really big and out of shape and now he has to get back into shape because he might die because you just went through that <laughs> i bet you know that and i bet it would be funny well i i think whatever kevin smith is going to do next is going to be interesting because he is willing to grow and change with the times oh yeah and yeah. i think that's what some directors need to learn from and it may not always be a hit but you got to grow a little bit. You got to grow. You know, I'm, I I make movies. If I was still making the same movies that I was making as a teenager, I would, I'd be the most annoying motherfucker in the world. Like, you know? <laughs> you got to grow. You got to grow with yourself. You got to grow with the times. <laughs> All right. That comes to the end of this video. Uh, I think it's kind of clear that neither of us uh, really recommend this. You can watch it free on YouTube. I'd say skip it. Don't even worry. Yeah, I, I watched it uh, and immediately forgot it, so don't even bother. If you see this in the thrift store, just leave it on the shelf. Yep, totally. So, we're going to move into the movie I let you jackasses vote for. This is partially my fault. I put it up there. I just didn't think people would vote for the Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan, the cannons. They did. I really want to thank you for giving me that role. I didn't give you that role. The director did. You're busy making my own little movies. What do you mean you make your own movies? You get no sympathy. See, you met Tara? Yeah. She's hot, right? 
It's more fun to keep it a little complicated. And you don't get jealous? Is this guy for real? No, I do not get jealous. Where'd you go? I trust her. Blind bitch! She trusts me. Leave him. You're not happy, Tara. Who said anything about happy? Who's Cynthia? I found myself in the emergency room. On drugs, and she's obsessed with me. You just lied to me. You sons of bitches. I voted for it too. Yeah. <laughs> I voted for I'm you specifically to watch the talking well. to you. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's going to be funny to make Steve suffer through this. So uh, at 9.30 at night, I started watching this. I text you somewhere around 11 o'clock, like, I'm almost done. Oh my God. It's bad. Yeah, but this is like next level bad. Yeah, this is. This is like what? It's, it's literally watching a train wreck happen in front of you. Uh, and a train wreck with bad lighting? Yeah, it's cheap looking. And this is Paul Schrader, the writer of Taxi Driver, is directing this film. And it looks like like somebody made it on a camera they bought at Best Buy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think this is the same thing as well. Like, you're out of touch, man. You do not know what it's like to be a young, weird couple in Hollywood right now. So maybe you were a weird couple at one point? Or he's spot on. And this is what's happening in Hollywood. Uh, we don't know anything about it, but this is just, this is maybe this is day to day in Hollywood. We don't know. I, maybe it is, but you got to do a better job of bringing it to the screen because, <laughs> oh, man, this is bad. But you have James Dean, which is a porn star. I assume this is his only film. I think so, yeah. I think this yeah. is the only thing. He's actually not, he's like Lifetime movie level it's funny because he's better than Lindsay Lohan is in this movie and I'm not shitting on Lindsay Lohan she's fucking amazing in Mean Girls she can act she just lost her way (laughs) somewhere no there's (laughs) yeah some movies she had well she had like two scenes in the movie where I go what did you show up that day and decide to act (laughs) and then there's a couple other ones where she is phoning it in bad and I can't believe they took that cut have you have you read like the stories on the making of this movie? Uh no, I, they're I've... amazing. You need to, it's it's gonna take you hours because there's a lot. You need to dig in on this one because it really will enrich well, your. <laughs> this, this is when she was trying to get off drugs and alcohol and make a comeback, correct? This was supposed to be her comeback movie, but she was struggling still through the addiction while she's trying to make her comeback. So it's fascinating the behind the scenes on this. I would also like to know who did her makeup in this because she looks like. A clown pretending to be a prostitute. Yeah, yeah, she looks yeah ridiculous. Which maybe again is like purposely making fun of vapid LA, but like doesn't look well on camera though. So, well, <laughs> so this is funny. Throughout the movie, I was like, gosh, she's 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 topless in it. Like I don't know, three four times, and I was like, you guys have a male porn star here, and. I haven't, you know, he hasn't been nude at all. And then in one scene, I was like, oh, oh, yep, that's... They were waiting for that one. Yep, okay. (laughs) That foursome in that tiny bed, as soon as they walk up and she's nude, like, oh, I'm ready to bang. You know, let's just go bang away. Because the whole point of this is this really narcissistic wannabe American psycho who finds Lindsay Lohan and he likes to bring other couples or other people up just uh, so they can have threesomes and foursomes. Yeah. That's it. That's how he gets his jollies. And then he claims he loves her, but he's insanely jealous. So she ends up falling in love with an actor that's in this American Psycho's movie that is going to be a horror film shot in Mexico. (laughs) And then he... That actor has the only likable character in the entire movie, the poor girl who's just trying to be an assistant and get through Hollywood, and this is her career, and she's very supportive of this actor, and that fucker cheats on her. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) All three of these main actors are awful characters, and some of the acting between the three are just garbage level. Like, I don't need, it's it's more than garbage. What is beyond garbage? Yeah, I, I told you when you said that you were going to watch this, I was like, this is transcendent trash. This exists at a level above trash, not in necessarily a good way. Just like when you're watching it, you're like, whoa. Like, <laughs> this is next level shit. Well, you have leveled up now that you have seen the canyons. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, you know, honestly, it's going to take 
a lot now for me to see a movie where I can literally go, well, that was legitimately worse than the canons. <laughs> I don't know if it can happen because, like, the, the canons, like you said, it's transcendent. It's it's on a different level. It's not like Troll 2. Like, when you watch Troll 2, you're like, well, they had no money and they didn't know what they were doing and they had people who never acted. This movie maybe had a little bit of money. They definitely had people that knew what they were doing and they definitely actually had real actors. Yeah. It just was... Yeah. Paul Schrader, one of the most famous writer-directors of all time. Brett Easton Ellis, writer of American Psycho. Lindsay Lohan trying to make a comeback and you do the you know, interesting casting choice of having a porn star be her sort of second lead. All the pieces were in place to make something interesting. And I mean, it is interesting, but it is an interesting disaster. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's interesting, like, watching someone pop a giant pimple where you're disgusted and you almost puke, but at the same time you send the link to your friend. Yeah, that's what this movie is. And I think that's what I think that's what I guess I just trying to get to with transcendent trash. It's just like this otherworldly thing. <laughs> I would say if you can actually get through this film, I I mean I would even recommend couples watching this on Netflix just so they can look at each other and be like, "Thank God we're not them." Yeah. I also just give a soft recommend of that movie because it's like it has to be seen to be believed. And like if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously interested in things that need to be seen to be believed. So like maybe check it out and just see what, you know, I don't know, how you feel, how you come away from it. But you're forever changed after you come away from it. (laughs) I think the one scene in the movie where the one actor is trying to get his job and the director has been set up. He's like, hey, the only way you can get this job is if you sleep with me. And the, like, James Dean character made him do that. The dude just goes, yeah, fine, let's go. And I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, no one gives, no one has morals at all. But again, is that just, like, a true comment on Hollywood? Because I could, I would believe Uh, it. I would absolutely believe it. No, people have morals in, in Hollywood. Some people. That's why, like, the shitty people run it is because they're taking advantage of the people with morals. I guess. I could see that argument. I mean, could I you... I see that argument. Yeah. Could you at least give up a little bit of fight to the director? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're making me do this. And he's like, well, do you want your career to start? You know, something. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, fine. Put down his... Pulls down his pants and says, let's go. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> no conflict at all. Oh. oh, and that was after that giant conversation that everyone's gay in Hollywood. It's fine to be straight. It's fine to be gay. It's fine to be bi. But if you're going to be one, you know, at least <laughs> at least be it. Yeah. Don't just do it for a part. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I know. I know some people that make movies that I think would drop their pants in a second if they got a shot at, like, <laughs> a big career. I don't know. Maybe. Well, but... I mean, if I was going to be the next Bruce Willis... Yeah, but what if I'm, like, the next, I don't know, Pee Wee Herman? Yeah. Well, he dropped his pants anyway, but that's a whole <laughs> yeah. other story. <laughs> bad example. My fault. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. And uh, remember, we are on Geekscape now. Uh, that is awesome. We are going to be doing a lot more things. Uh, you'll even see maybe me write some stuff. Maybe Matt. We're going to try. Uh, I'm a terrible writer, so... <laughs> So am I, but I do it. <laughs> you can you can see my stuff on Horror Society and be like, yeah, he is terrible, but that's okay. <laughs> we make up with enthusiasm. That's right. That's right. That is exactly it. Enthusiasm for stuff that you probably don't want to watch, but you want to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube. We have a lot of choices now, which is awesome. So... Get out there, listen to us, spread the word, and you can talk to us on Facebook all you want. Yeah, we're on the Analog Jones and Temple of Film Facebook page. Before we sign off, promote two things right quick. You're damn right you can do yes. it. Yes, yes. 
uh, I want to let everybody know that if you're in Chicago, we have a world premiere coming up for Windy City Horrorama. Obviously, Horrorama, we have mentioned before, is coming back. It was a super success the first year. We're coming back in April, but we want to keep Horrorama on people's minds. So we have a world premiere on September 7th at the Davis Theater for a new horror anthology called Skeletons in the Closet. It is sort of like a Goonies, E.T. type Amblin-y horror movie. So it goes off into monsters and gore and things like that, but uh, it's centered around kids on Halloween. So it is a lot of fun, and I think uh, I think it's going to be a really fun world premiere. No one has seen it yet, so it'll be very exciting. Red carpet, cast and crew will be there. It's going to be a big deal. Tickets are available now. You can get them on uh, the Windy City Horrorama page. There's an event page on Facebook and on Brown Paper Tickets. Come out and see it. It's a world premiere. You'll be the first to see this new horror anthology that I'm sure people will be talking about after it does eventually come out. But uh, And it's, again, to keep Windy City Horrorama on people's minds. And then it hit me up if you have any questions about that. Come see it. Come hang out. We love doing these screenings, and we want to keep doing them, and this, this helps uh, build up for next year's Horrorama. And then the other thing I will just quickly plug is uh, listen to my uh, AFI list podcast as well. Yeah, when you guys did Schindler's List, that was... Uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is a great... We were so dreading it, and it turned out to be one of the best episodes that we've done. I didn't expect that. I also love at the um, Water Tower. Uh, what's the movie I'm thinking about? With um, I Could Have Been the Contender. Oh, On the Waterfront? Uh, on the Waterfront. Were you told, Ashley, that it was a musical at the beginning? Yes. yes. I, I laughed out loud in my office while watching <laughs> that because she's just like hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, like I was just being a stone troll, and I was just <laughs> like, I was just like, you know, it's a musical, right? And she got all excited, and then I was like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to listen to him. Uh, it's a fun podcast. Very interesting going through the 100 greatest movies of all time while stoned. <laughs> I can only imagine and we'll probably soon find out well you will find out very soon because star wars is right around the corner yeah yeah (laughs) it comes faster and faster (laughs) all right remember to be kind and rewind you're listening to the geekscape network hey toxic here and meridon too we're the hosts of the overleague podcast Are you a fan of Overwatch League or just a fan of Overwatch in general? Well, if you are, we break down matches and all other Overwatch happenings, and we won't judge your main. Tune in every other Tuesday to the Overleague on Geekscape wherever you get your podcasts.